0: This is the Big Church Podcast. Hey, who is excited about starting our David series? Okay, everybody knows David and Goliath, right? If you've been around church your whole life, even if you've not been around church, you, you have heard the story of David and Goliath. But there's a lot more in the Bible about David. And over these next several weeks, we're going to talk about David was a musician, and he wrote many of the poems I wasn't going to do that, but I did it anyway. But he was also in the lineage of Jesus. And it's in Matthew 1.1, he is described as the son of David. So there's many, many things that he had, but it wasn't always quite this way. Many times in his life, like us, he struggled with his identity. He battled with insecurity. He failed, and he had to seek forgiveness and he had to face many giants in his life, not just Goliath. A lot of times we attribute that giant, but when we look at our lives out there, there are so many giants. I mean, and I would love to do a series down the line calling Facing Your Giants, and I tackle each and every one of them that we do. But David faced a whole gamut of things that he had to deal with. The title of my message today is Chosen but not picked. Here's a little backstory you got to know the story before you can know the story over the next several weeks. But Israel wanted a king. They had looked out all over the place, and they had seen uh, these other nations that had kings and somebody on a throne and, and somebody that had a scepter in his hand. They wanted that kind of thing, but God wanted to be their king, but they wanted a physical king. Like us, we often look to something else or someone else to fill the place that God wants to fill in our lives. That's another message right there, maybe in a few weeks. But, the, but they looked for a king and they found one named Saul. Now, lady, Saul was tall, he was dark, and he was handsome. Uh, Kegan's dark and handsome. He's not quite tall, but you know, he's he's got two out of the three. But he was tall, dark, and handsome. And he started out humble. He started out saying, you know, I'm the least of the tribe, and who am I? you sure you want to pick me? I've never been in this position before. And it started out good until pride and disobedience came into his life. Everything was kind of going good in the kingdom, but pride and disobedience took over. He lost his power and the presence of God. He ultimately loses his throne. You know, God sends Samuel the prophet out to say, okay, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and I want you to get there. He's got, he's got sons and you're gonna pick a king from that. So they get, everybody comes to the dinner and they're all, they're all sitting around the table. Here's where it starts. 1 Samuel 16, six. It says, and so it was when they came, they're all at the dinner table, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is here before me. He looked at, uh, at uh, Iliab and he said, "Surely he had totally forgotten that, like a year or two before, Saul was that person that was standing in front of him." Day, uh, Samuel got doing what we often do—he judged by looks. Wow. Have you ever had that date that you want? Oh, she's got a great personality. Thought... Oh my gosh, y'all! Are... <laughs> I have actually been that date before. He's got a great personality. You can overlook that he doesn't have any hair or anything else, but he's got a great personality. But he started looking at the looks and the social status and the surface of everything else. Culture paints a picture that if we don't live a certain lifestyle, if we don't drive a certain car, if we don't live in the biggest house and and do all this, if we don't dress to fit the part, somehow we're never going to be happy or we're never going to be fulfilled. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is on the inside is more important to God than what we show on the outside. I'm asking you this morning, do you have a heart condition? I'm not asking if your heart arteries, or you ate Pringles and your arteries are, are hardening up or anything like that. I'm asking you, do you have a heart condition? And because sometimes we have a heart condition and you can't see it from the outside, but there's a condition inside of your heart that is, that's tearing you apart. Who are you when no one is looking? We live in a world right now where integrity is something. I remember I grew up uh, in the country and the old fellas, they used to just shake hands and like Papaw, they'd shake hands and, and, and you had a deal. Now, if you don't have a contract, if you don't have it written out, right now people will go back on that because integrity is not anything in the world right now today. The decisions that we make show our heart condition. Out of the abundance of our heart, the what? Mouth speaks. Out of what's inside of you is what you usually say. Have you ever said something and wished you could go get it back? Oh, my gosh. I have said so many things that I wish I could just capture it out there in place and bring it right back. But once you say it, it's out there. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So there's a heart issue. It said if you confess, but I love this one. But if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you what? You can be saved. Israel wanted a physical king and God wanted a heart. They wanted to see something out there that you could physically see. And God said, I just want to see what's on the inside of who it is. So he went searching. Verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab, and he made him to pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before and said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, ain't you got no more kids? I mean, what's up? God told me to come up here, and I was going to anoint your son, and, and, and yet, yet you bring them all here, and God's told me no. He said, are all the young men here? He says, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is out keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. In Jewish culture, the number one son was the rightful heir and so on down the line. But here's what happened. David was the eighth and the youngest son, and he had all the cards stacked against him already. David was too insignificant that he did not even get his father's invite to the party. When we think about insignificance, it says the definition is lacking meaning not worth considering or unimportant or just plain small. I grew up in a home that was not very affirming. I grew up in a very negative attitude. I mean, everybody, it was always a bad day. Y'all ever been in those situations? Not affirming. I wasn't told that that I was loved, I was never tucked in bed, I was never, you know, like the things that that people really crave to have. I didn't have any of those things. And so what it did, it, it brought out insecurities in my own self. And sometimes I look at myself, and I was talking to Pastor Mindy the other day, and sometimes I look at myself and I feel like I'm pretty secure and I can talk to people and I can go places and I can do things, but then there's always that little bit inside of me that thinks I'm just not quite good enough to do that. Where do your insecurities come from? Maybe you were bullied growing up. You know, did you always, do you always have to perform for getting someone to love you? Maybe you were just told that you're just not good enough or you'll never amount to anything. As Pastor Mendes has said many times, we are, we're both told you'll never amount to anything. You'll always be what you're going to be. Did family dysfunctions or secrets cause you to live in fear as a child? And, and has repeated disappointments led you to believe you just don't have what it takes? Maybe we just don't measure up. We can't keep looking at what we didn't have. We can't keep looking at what we don't have. We can't go to our bank account and say, I wish I had this and I wish I had that. Because that is not what defines us. David could have said this. He could have said, Eliab is the first in line. David could have said, he's taller, and he's better looking than me, and he's the oldest. He, but let me tell you what comparison does to you. It makes you lose your identity, and it makes you feel invisible. Yeah. Dad, I'm right here. Yeah. Dad, don't you see me? Hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm out with the sheep, but I'm still your son. Let me tell you, we live in a culture, in a world right now where people are walking around, even in families, they feel invisible. They feel insignificant. And he says, I take care of your sheep and I'm your son too. Why was I not invited to the party? We live in a very visible society. We have technology at our fingertips. We have social media. We have Vision, our vision is way overstimulated and people still live in this culture knowing that they still feel invisible. Yeah, so Do you know what, why, the, why a lot of the school shootings going? Those are the kids out there that feel like nobody wants to hear them, nobody wants to see them, nobody wants to be around them. And a lot of times that's what makes them and triggers them into doing the things. They want to be seen, whether it's a negative way or not, they want to be seen. I remember going to a high school um, reunion, and it wasn't even my high school reunion. I didn't know half the people that I didn't know three-quarters of the people there. And I remember there was, another, there was a table sitting over by the corner, and there was about six people sitting at that table. And I'm just a social person, you know? And they, and they started, I heard, I heard people start telling the stories of that table. And you all know the stories of that table in your school that nobody wants to go visit, that table over there that nobody wants to talk to those people because they're weirds and they're emos and they dress crazy. Well, that table was still sitting over there, and there were six people sitting at that table over there, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, I didn't know anybody there. I said, I'm going to walk over, and I'm going to sit down at that table, and do you know what happened? When I walked over and sat down at that table, I introduced myself to those six people, and their faces lit up. You know why? Because I just walked in, and I got into their space, and I made them feel not invisible, I'm not trying to talk myself, uh, myself but it, what a change it made in them. They talk so much. and they, I mean, I was like, I'm about to get out of here. They're talking too much. But you don't know what a kind word or a smile or just something that you could do to somebody's life can change it forever. Have you been labeled? Have you been labeled? A lot of times what happens, you know what? Have you ever went out of the house and forgot the label on your shirt? Come on. I've been out of the house a few times with my shirt, and I, and I forgot my medium label right... Hey, I'm prophesying right now. It says how many X's it is, but, you know... I'm tr- but I've walked around, and I remember one time we were somewhere, and, and, and I saw her, here she came. <laughs> She ripped that label off me so fast, I didn't even know what happened. But I had it running down through here. But a lot of times what we do is we wear our labels, and we don't even realize we have them on us. A label is a tag that has been attached to something that gives information and content about it. What have you been labeled? Insignificant? Insecure? Depressed? Angry? Angry? fearful. Let me just tell you, once you put a name to it, it sticks. Once you put it in there, it'll stick to you and it's hard to get off. Ladies, how many times have you bought that dress and you stuffed the tag back in the back because you were aiming to take it back, right? You were going to return. Y'all don't do that? Uh, She's done it two or three times. and I was like, you wore that thing like two, three times. Maybe not once. But what we do is we try to hold on to that label and God says, I want to cut that label off because I want want you to keep what I've given you. We keep trying to return things and God says, I want you to keep these things. God knew before you were born that you would have flaws and that you would have deficiency. He looked beyond your faults. He looked beyond your past. He looked beyond your limitations. He looked beyond your current definition of success. How many times have you been picked over? God wants to rip the label and rip the tag right off of you, and he wants to change you and give you a new definition on life. God says, just because you're not in the lineup doesn't mean I ain't got something lined up for you. A lot of times we think because we weren't picked and we weren't chosen that God was done with us. But listen to this, verse 12. So he brought him In Now he was ruddy, whatever that word means, bright eyes and good looking. I know what that word means. And the Lord said, amen. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Up to that point, he was an outcast. Up to that point, he'd been disregarded. He'd been overlooked. But when the Lord says something about you, it changes everything. What your mom and your dad and your family and your friends and everyone around here has spoken over you doesn't matter anything. But when God says something about you, it changes everything. You are the one. You have a heavenly father that's always with you. He sees you. He affirms you. You are a son and a daughter of the most high. He labels you. You're marked on his forehand of who you are. God says that about you. You may not be picked, but you've been chosen. Let's look at 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. And back that time when they anointed the king, they poured oil over the top of their heads. They anointed them. They, they showed favor to them. And he anointed them in the midst of his brothers. Remember that, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day Forward. So Samuel arose and he left. First Peter 5, 6 says this. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. His time had come. Your time has come. So many times we think, no, it's not my time. It's not. And God is looking to pour the oil out on top of you. You just have to learn how to receive it. But I love this. You might have been laughed at. You might have been made fun of. You might have been misunderstood. But in the midst of his brother, he says, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He made his brothers watch him sit down, not at the backside of the table, but at the head of the table. His brothers had to sit there and watch him and say, I got the best waiter. He said, watch me eat. Come on, y'all football people will probably get that one right there. He said, you're going to watch me eat. Let me tell you something. There comes a time in your life when everybody who's looked down on you, when everybody who's passed you by or thought you were insignificant, they're going to have to sit down and watch what God has done in your life. Listen, they told us eight years ago we would never do this right here. You're sitting in a church that they said was an impossibility, but I'm going to tell you something. When God prepares the table, anybody can sit at it. David was the eighth son. And that seemed like a curse because in some Jewish culture, the eighth son was illegitimate. The world is screaming, number one. And you're going, I feel like an eight. The world is telling you you'll never be a number one because you always think like an eight. And I'm telling you, God is here this morning to change. David, like us, had the opportunity to allow his insecurities to keep him from his destiny. He could have let all of the things that happened, dad not inviting him in and, 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 and being insignificant, insecure. He could have said that and kept him from the place, from the palace, from the king and the palace that God has for him. He could have shrunk back and he could have become invisible. You know what else he could have done? He could have carried those labels around with him for the rest of his life. And said, I'll always be this way. I'll never change. And because they told me, my dad doesn't even know my name. And number seven is the the number of completion in the Bible. And maybe you've completely messed it up. But I got good news for you. You can start here. Isaiah 43, 18 says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider or be drawn to the things of old. Seven represents completion, but eight in Jewish means new beginnings. Maybe you've completely messed it up, but God's about to turn your eight around. He's about to make you something new and better than you've ever been. The Bible says, he who begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You say, I'm a work in progress. But if you'll stay in the progress, if you'll stay in the process, God says, I'm going to make it and I'm going to complete it. And you're going to sit at the table and people are going to watch you eat. He's the God of the impossible. God wants to do a new, new thing. If you would stand with me, please. I, wanna, I want some people to leave here free this morning. And listen, you don't don't have to jockey for position. You don't have to fight for approval. You don't need someone else to celebrate you or tell you how good you are. And you don't need someone else to fall so you can succeed. God sees you. He values you. And he is not, oh, listen to this. He is not done with you. I know the enemy comes in and he starts to tell you and and, and gets you to believe that your best days are behind you. But I got news for you. Your best days are in front of you. God is not done. There are dreams that you've quit dreaming and God says, I want you to start dreaming again. There are things that you've given up in your life that God says, I want you to grab hold of that thing and hold on for dear life because I'm about to make it happen for you. Listen, I want to encourage someone today that God is not done with you. His callings, His gifts, His anointing, and His favor has your name on it and you don't got to chase it down. It's going to find you eventually if you stay in the process. Your job is to be faithful and everything that has your name on it is going to find you. So I'm going to ask the prayer team. They'll be up on the left and they'll be up at the right but we're going to do two things. You may not feel picked this morning but you can be chosen and you know how you're chosen you choose God is calling us right now to choose him and if you would bow your heads and and nobody looking around just for comfort maybe you've not ever chosen God to be your savior in your life I'm going to ask you if you've not made that decision if you would just slip up your hand Okay. Salvation. I'm going to read. I want, to, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And let me just tell you, that the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus says you're saved, you do have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to walk this thing out once you accept him. But the thing that you start by is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you would, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus... I come this morning to choose you. Come into my life. Forgive me. Change me. Thank you for choosing me. For dying so that I can live. Here's what I want to do too. If you're comfortable, I want to pray over you this morning. I want to pray that God is going to change some things. So if you want to walk up this direction and just kind of make your way around the front here, if you want to stay in your seats, that's fine, because I'm going to pray. But I really believe that there are some things right here this morning that God wants to change. He wants to rearrange, and He wants you to leave here different than where you walked in. Maybe insecurity is that thing. Maybe insignificance is that thing. Maybe there are things in your life, there are giants in your life that you are trying to overcome and God says, I'm about to throw a rock on that thing that's just been trying to kill you. So as they get ready, I'm going to pray this prayer and then we're going to sing a song. But if you want to come up and we'll pray over you. I would like, Lord, I ask you this morning, if you would, to take away all of the insecurity that's in this room right now. Father, right now, I pray that you take insignificance and you change it into identity. God, I pray right now that you remove all of the labels that we've either put on ourselves or others have put on us. And I ask you today, God, to change our hearts and our minds. God, I ask you to do this, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see those around us. That they're not, not just see them physically, but see them in the spirit too, God to know that we don't overlook anyone. Help us to make people valuable, make people feel valued, dignified, seen, and known. Church, I just gotta tell you, that is what people want right now. We live in such a culture right now, it's such a fast-paced world and things, people just feel like God, that life is just passing me by. Opportunities are passing me by. Suicide rate is an all-time high right now, and I'm just telling you, people just need to know you love. They just need to know you care. So I'm going to ask you, as you get ready to sing this song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We're not singing that song, but open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I can see you, and that I can see those around us. Thank you, Jesus.